My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 53 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast, sponsored by EcoTrail Wicklow on September 24th, 2022. Hey everybody, hope you're all well and with the holiday season in full swing and another heatwave upon us again this week and this weekend, I'm going to do a shorter episode this week and take a short break from the feature interviews as I'm on holidays myself this week and instead I'm going to replay for you the special feature that we did a few weeks back on warm weather training and warm weather racing. Very important given the weekend that we're about to have and the temperatures set to soar over 28, over 30 degrees. But just before we play that piece with Rennie from Running Coach Ireland, a shout out to our show sponsor for the next few weeks until their big race day on September 24th in Bray, County Wicklow. Ecotrail Wicklow, of course, and they have lots of exciting things planned for the event this year. Wicklow Wolf will be on hand once again at the finish line handing out some of their exceptional locally produced craft beers the team are also working on getting some live streaming going a big screen on Bray Promenade as well as organising a tour of Glendalock for anybody who is up for the weekend to take on any of the four distances of 19k 30k 46k and the big one the 80k distance race numbers did sell out last year well in advance so do make sure to get your entry ASAP so as not to be disappointed just before we go to that piece on the warm weather training guys do feel free to go back and work on through the archives of the show as there is a great range of discussion and debate on the different aspects of training and racing from Rennie and myself everything from strength training for trail runners to the importance of aerobic and anaerobic training um, and when is the best stage to do those different parts of training as well so do scroll down whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you might listen to the podcast and I guarantee you'll find the subject in our 50 odd episodes now that will be of help to you okay with the temperatures about to soar this weekend over 28 degrees again let's hear about the best way to handle training and racing in hot temperatures to have you on the show again i'm ready are you in your shorts and t-shirts there because it is hot i am in fact Owen. yeah i'm sitting here in my old columbia t-shirt so i don't know no you didn't have a columbia sponsored athlete on this week i think you had a you had my co-commentator on instead from the europeans we did we've got paul coming up now in a couple of minutes running after our own chat and i think the the listeners are really going to enjoy it um and it's i'm about to head out the door myself just after we have our call here Rennie. and i'm just looking at the temperatures here now i'm in las palmas as the listeners know and it's uh it's about 29 30 degrees which is kind of at my limit of when um uh, of the temperature kind of that i can withstand as i'm training but does a heat temperature all across Europe, up in mainland Spain and France, it's even higher, it's in the mid-30s. And Ireland, for once as well, is suffering with really hot temperatures. And I think our listeners are really going to feel the heat. So what we wanted to talk about today was just 
why and how heat affects us and some measures maybe we can um, put in place to help us get through the next couple of days. And if we go on holidays, because of course a lot of the athletes that we coach or any there, they're in France, they're in Spain at the moment. And I'm sure you like myself, you know, I'm getting messages saying, oh, I, I can't get out for my run today because it's just too hot. Yeah, I haven't actually had anyone who has refused to go out for run own, but I do have people who are concerned about it. You know, people I'm especially concerned when it's a race in the heat. Yeah. Um, but they also are, they, I can see little complaints in the comments, all right, you know, where, oh, it was really tough today because of the heat, or I didn't run quite as far as I had planned because of the heat. Yeah, so it's definitely something that if you can learn how to manage it for training, you know, you can, you can maybe not lose the training you'd plan to do if you know how to adjust properly to it um, and for racing of course it's if it really is hot and it's a road race the, the problem is you simply cannot run as quickly as you would like to you know and those who try generally drop out and own oh, you've probably heard all the horror stories you know, of people who went over to the Stockholm marathon and it was 25 degrees and they just kept on target pace and then you know they had to retire after 20 miles um, but in trail running at least we are free from we're free from the, the tyranny of time. And that means we just need to do better than our competitors in the heat. So I think that's a nice segue maybe for those who I think are racing as, as we did for the last few weeks here in Ireland, you know, and it, it was a big difference. I certainly thought it was a big difference last Wednesday when I went out for the Earl's drive race, just after coming back from La Palma, you know, where you, where you took me out in the heat, Owen, <laughs> and that was, uh, that was certainly cooking. And I think we could see the difference in, probably both fitness levels and acclimatization as we were coming yeah. up. Yeah. And of course there's different levels, isn't there any, when we are going out into out the train in the heat, in the hot temperatures that, you know, we can feel hot, but we can still maybe train and we just need to manage our expectations where maybe instead of doing 60, 65 minutes, we need to cut it back to 40 to 45 as we're adapting to the, to the new hot temperatures you know, but then once our body temperature begins to go from 36 and a half, 37, up to say towards 38.5, 39, that's when the real red flags appear and when we might experience symptoms like what? Dizziness, low blood pressure, nausea. We've all seen videos on YouTube over the years of, of those runners who their, their central governor system just hasn't actually kicked in and they've managed or they've managed to override the brain that is telling them to, to cool to, to slow down so they can cool down and they make it so close to finish lines but their body just gives up and they end up wandering from side to side on the track or on the road and um, thankfully we i don't think we've seen as much on the trails or the roads yet but we do have to be very careful don't we because if we even go beyond that one more to the next level where our body temperature is hitting 40 to 41 well, then that's when heat stroke kicks in, organ failure, and that's when, you know, we're on our way to the hospital. Yeah, if we start at that dramatic level, you know, which, as you say, heat um, heat stroke is the worst of the, the types of heat, or you could say fatigue you can get. You know, there's something called heat cramps. We can talk about that. And heat exhaustion, which is in the middle. And I think that's what I suffered um, after Sunday, you know, when you and I were out. Um, but I think that's, that's actually a good example of, of what makes the difference between being able to run in a hot environment and not because by the time we got out that Sunday, and I think it was about noon time, I had already run down there for four days and I hadn't really had any problems. Um, you know, obviously I could feel it was a bit warmer than in Ireland, 
Um, but there was a few factors that made the difference. And it's when you look at those factors, you can see, well, okay, these are the things I need to watch out for. The listener needs to watch out for as well. So first of all, all the other days I was out, I was either running um, by myself or I was the fittest person running on the day. Okay, So that means I was under no pressure to keep at the intensity I felt was ideal. But I was also running generally later in the day. So obviously that makes a difference whereas we ran right in the midday heat. So that's a very simple thing you can first of all do is look at your schedule and pick and um, try and not and pick the worst spell, right? If you're in a new hot country, a new hot environment or the temperature has gone up the way it has, maybe it's time to change your noon runs to morning runs. But of course you might also choose to utilize it because if you have a hot run coming up now in a warmer country in the next month or two, you know, actually running at noon if you know how to manage it could be right um so i think Owen, you wanted today to go into both how can we adapt so that you know we are ready when we do it in training and racing but also what can you do during and what can you do after and i, I think we can maybe start with after because that's that's what i saw most recently myself you know so when you come from a run where you can feel this sort of heat exhaustion and you had a few of the symptoms there you know it can be that your pulse is a bit more rapid it can be fatigue dizziness faintness heavy sweating it can even be total loss of appetite you know muscle cramps headaches i actually had mild headache um i was a little bit fatigued um definitely the heart rate was higher than it should be that was kind of the main thing for me straight after but I was lucky, obviously, that we were staying in this lovely place and there was a pool. So the first thing to do was to drink a good bit of water coming back to the car. But you have to be careful when you do that, because if you drink too much water and too quickly, first of all, you could obviously just vomit. That's a common thing to happen if you're already a bit heat exhausted. And you may deplete your salts too much. And that's actually the most dangerous thing that can happen to you. Right, because we know this this condition they call hyponatremia, so low natrium or low salt. Um, and if you have low blood salt, you can I, that's very lethal because it totally messes with your body's ability for the heart to, to beat properly and things like that. So when you do rehydrate, do it gently. Um, maybe instead of just pouring gallons of water down, pour the first one over your head. As you say, if you have ice packs, I actually had that own because the little fridge in the place we stayed was full of these um, uh, plastic ice packs. I forget the English name for them, but I packed them every day uh, in the boot of the car. And that, mean, that was mainly actually to keep my drinks cold so they weren't warm by the time you got back. But I've, I've, you probably noticed when we were driving home, I asked you to drive because I was feeling a little bit slow in the head. Um, I packed some of those ice packs on my body. Yeah. You know, and that was just an attempt to, to because my experience with previous heat exposure has been that the quicker you can help the body drop the core temperature, the, the quicker you are going to shake the after effects of an experience like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like any adaptation. It can actually be a really good adaptation if you manage it, but you don't want the effects to linger for two weeks after. Yeah, and so it's maybe worth just saying, you know, or reminding the listeners of the simple, basic, common sense things that I'm sure everybody knows, but there's no harm saying them out loud again, Rene, um, running in the shade as much as we can while it's so hot and um, avoiding direct sunlight. You mentioned there not running in the middle of the day and um, when it is very hot, 
stick on the sun cream of course as well and um, for example when i'm out training and i remember having a chat about it with you when we were running that time in la palma stick a cap on the head that is so important and um, when i go out running if i didn't have a cap i would actually i would go back to the house and i would go and make sure that i have a cap on me because you just avoid that glare of the sun on your face on the back of your head of course as well neck and it's so it, it just it does play a key role in helping to cool you down now, there are other things while we're running that can help Rennie as well. And you, you might think that, well, I better make sure that I drink a lot when I'm running. But from what I've read, Rennie, I'm sure you've seen the same, that drinking actually while we're running, because, you know, we're, we're 60, 70, 80 kilos in, in body weight, taking on 100 meters or 100 milliliters of probably lukewarm water, unless you have that ice pack fridge with you, keeping your water cool as you're running along, it's not actually going to help that much. Likewise, if you think, oh, well, I know I'm going to go for a big long run tomorrow. Uh, I know tomorrow is going to be 28 degrees, so I'm going to drink loads today, so I'm hydrated for tomorrow. That's not really going to help either because you're just going to end up overworking your kidneys and spending more time in the bathroom than usual. Um, the, the ice cold pack that you mentioned, um, we've often seen, I think, over the years, more so in the World Championships and the Olympic Games, um, the real pro guys that might have the ice packs around their neck as they're warming up. I don't know if you've ever done that, Renny, or if you ever had to do that in a race yourself. No, not really, because mainly I didn't have access to a proper cold vest, you know, that when I, the few times it was hot enough, uh, the, the race that affected me the most was actually the Copenhagen Marathon, believe it or not, because it was 25 degrees, you know, and you know yourself when you're running a marathon, 25 degrees, that it's too hot. Um, but I, because we were traveling, there wasn't, there was only so much gear you can bring. So I had to be, I just poured, as you say there, I poured a lot over my head during the race because I was aware that apart from the electrolyte drinks, if I just drank like a lunatic, it would be, you know, right down hypernatremia lane um, and a problems. But what I do tend to do when it's really hot is I barely do any warm up, And that's something I learned from, I think it might've been Lorraine Moller, one of uh, her books where she mentioned that anecdote that she was preparing. It might've been the Barcelona Olympic marathon in 1992 and she said she did see some elites who she felt were doing way too involved warm-ups for the temperature they were running in. And she said it was, she felt she was already warm. Her muscles were warm just from the temp, the climate. So she felt instead she was just going to stay in the shadow for as long as possible to keep her body temperature down. So I think that could be an easy strategy to yeah. adopt, you know, keep yourself in the shadow until the last minute, use the first few K as a warm-up when you race on a hot day. Yeah. Um, of course, a lot of people do the low tech thing. You know, they have a cap or they have a sweatband or they have a bandana, something like that. And they soak that in water or they carry these little sponges. We've seen that a lot with elites as well in marathon. They basically carry a sponge and whenever they come to a water station, they could just get it soaked and they put that over their head. So that, yeah. that's a pretty good way to, to do it. And we know for our ultra trail guys, they can take in a little bit more water if they are very good at using things like salt tablets. Because that way you can get a steady flow as well as salt as you're rehydrating. Mm. And of course, probably one of the best ways, Rennie, to prepare ourselves to run in the heat and to get the benefit of running in the heat, because there can be great benefit from it as well as we get fitter and as our heart learns to pump more plasma throughout the body, so therefore more oxygen get into our muscles, of course, 
is to, similar to altitude training, we adapt over time. Over a seven to, day, seven to 10 day period, we will get a lot more efficient running in the heat, won't we? So if we're on holidays, a two week holiday in Spain or France, we can actually great, get great benefit if we do it bit by bit, if we do it strategically, if we don't do too much too soon, that when we come back to Ireland for our race in two weeks time after getting through the heat wave, and if we're back to normal cool temperatures in Ireland, we'll get quite a similar boost in performance as if we were altitude training for two weeks as well, I think. Yeah, a lot of people have said you need to treat it exactly the same way and you get similar benefits so that when you run in hotter climates, you can actually get the same exercise benefit, but running at a lower pace, which is the same, you know, as, as an altitude training. And you're, all, you're looking at fairly similar timeframes as well. So it's something, ideally, you need to commit a little bit of time to it, you know, at least a few weeks, but ideally more. Some, some research actually shows up to nine weeks is optimal, you know, which is quite a long time. Um, mm. But at the end of the day, the main thing to understand with any stressor is that when you do it, there is a negative and a positive effect. And the negative effect is more short term and the positive effect is more long term. But it means you need to know the timing because it's a little bit similar to this story of ours, right? That obviously when you have heat exhaustion on Sunday, you're not reaping the benefit of that by the Wednesday race. Quite the contrary. And that's certainly how I felt. I felt overheated yeah. right from the start. Um, yeah. so it, but I feel better now. <laughs> and yeah. and I, ha I have had previous experiences training in Singapore. So Singapore has general humidity between 83% and 100%, right? So that means you can barely sweat. Even at midnight, it's 28 degrees there. And that's when I was running right in the middle of the night. And I did 200 plus K weeks there. And it was hard. It was very, very hard. But once I got home and I shook off that experience, I was in very, very good shape to run in the Irish climbs. Yeah. So, so, so that's one example. Uh, but obviously, if you look to, go back and look at the paces, they were not what they would have been, you know, running in Ireland. But it's not the only thing you can do. It's a, because we had a few of, the, of our clients were racing in hot climbs this year. And they had questions about, well, how can I do it? Because where I live right now, it's not that warm. And they didn't have the opportunity to go anywhere, you know, because we've had kind of a very poor spring here. So there's basically, there's two different ways. There, it's called heat acclimatization. That's the general thing you're speaking about. And you can do it either in an artificial environment or you can do it in a natural environment. They're the two different ways. So that means outdoor, basically, or indoor in the lab. And you can do it in a passive way or you can do it while exercising. And a lot of people call that controlled hypothermia. So that means you're trying to bring up your body temperature in a controlled way. If you do it while running, it's generally done with various different techniques, you know, from very low tech, just wearing more layers, right? So that if you know you're gonna do Marathon de Sable or something like that, uh, you might do most of your runs carrying um, much more layers than is appropriate for what you're running in. You know, you could be in long sleeve um, jogging pants and you could be having two or three layers on top, you know, stuff like that. That would be a very low tech way of always working out warmer. Um, the passive one, because I don't want to give people a hundred examples because I think most people can kind of imagine it, ways you could do it. But a, a very standard way that it was done by one of our clients is that after most of their runs, they would go straight home and sit in a sauna, they had access to one or a hot tub for 20 to 30 minutes. 
Yeah. And that's a very common tactic, you know, and that way you have, your body temperature basically goes up. And if you do that consistently for a number of weeks, you get that heat acclimatization effect. But I know, Owen, you, you, you had a cheeky response when we were saying before, you, you, I think you were saying, you know, first of all, you just need to get fitter. Well, that's the thing. I think the, the best strategy to beat the heat, Rennie, is just to be fit in general. Because, you know, imagine you're on holidays with, say, family members or whatever. One of us might be, you know, a regular runner like most of us that listen to the podcast are. And then say we have a maybe a family member that, maybe does another sport, but doesn't, do, wouldn't do it every day. So imagine us going out for a half an hour run in 30 degrees and 50 degree, 50% humidity. And our say our footballing friend or our golfing family member coming out with us naturally will, I think, be able to withstand the heat better than a more sedentary member of the family. So I think the fact that we're runners are generally fit means we can just handle that heat that much that much better because i think our hearts can just pump more plasma more oxygen more more of a cooling system to the skin than say a not so fit person would be um and you just on the on the sauna piece there the hot sauna Rennie, i was only talking at the valderan utmb race there to, to one of the world's top trail runners and she was saying that she uses that exact strategy in the first half of her season just before she gets ready to race, part of her weekly routine is that heat acclimatization in the in the sauna. Um, so if it works for the very best in the world, Benny, um, absolutely, it will work for our, our own clients and the listeners as well. Yeah, what you're saying there really is a reminder of something we've said many times on this podcast before, which is that first things first. And that means ultimately all these X factors of a race the altitude, the terrain, the heat, the equipment, the pacing strategy, the nutrition, they come second. The first thing is always the basic foundational fitness to complete the task. And because it's so interesting to look at all these X factors quite often, you know, the, the gear and the shoes and everything, um, we can forget that, well, first of all, focus on the fitness. And if you have that foundation, then you can start worrying about all the other things. And of course, it's great if you can build a training plan. You know, we try to do that, obviously, that, that it does account for everything eventually. But apart from the reason you're saying is that when the body is fitter, it has more options. It's better at dissipating heat, essentially. But it's also because, as we know, if you really focus correctly on building your aerobic engine, the zone one, the zone two, then every single race pace that you have is actually run at a lower heart rate. And that's, you know, it's obvious that that's going to benefit you because the higher you raise your heart rate, the warmer you get, regardless of what the temperature is. Yeah. So, so if you can race at a lower heart rate, or at least you're so fit that your body gets stressed later in the race, that means the heart rate stays lower for longer. By the time you really start to heat up, you, you don't have so far to the finish line. Whereas someone who's unfit yet, yeah, they, they might very, very quickly, the moment they get in, they're in, let's say, low zone four in maybe the, the Wednesday evening race. And they are accumulating significant amount of heat then straight off the bat. Yeah. And um, I know when I was listening to the Science for Sport podcast, which is very good, Rennie, as well, highly recommended to the listeners, um, the sports scientist, Professor Ross Tucker, he was saying that with, from the research that he's done on it, he thinks that the limit in terms of temperature and humidity, because we do need to combine the two to get our overall heat index when we're thinking about training and performing in heat, 
his top limit was 35 degrees temperature and 60 degree humidity. Once you hit that, it is impossible, impossible to perform any type of endurance event. So that, that's our limit. I mentioned at the start of the conversation, my own limit here is about 28 degrees. Um, but it, that's just down to my own personal perception of just feeling uncomfortable beyond that. And I just, I just wait until the next day or I wait until later on that night. But in terms of the science behind it, what Ross Tucker was saying was 35 max, above that just don't even don't even go to the race stay at home and and speaking of races Randy, what i thought was very interesting when i was just reading a couple of articles earlier on today was that if you think about it there's actually no rule anywhere in any races that we go to or any even of the big championships have you ever come across Rennie, a rule and you you're involved in race organizing as well so you've seen health and safety plans and um, have you ever come across a rule that says if the temperature gets to say 32 degrees today the race is stopping we're not going ahead and i bet you if you were to look it up it would be very very hard pressed to find something the only one that i came across was the gold coast marathon in australia and when they get to 30 degrees they they postpone the event but i couldn't see anything else and especially in the in the trail running world i couldn't see anything at all yeah no i've never come across it but i organize races in ireland right so it's, it's, yeah. it's not gonna be a factor but it makes total sense because for, for numerous reasons like one obviously there is a point where anything you perform it's you would be putting yourself at significant risk um you know maybe you could just walk or walking them instead but uh there certainly is a time where it gets dangerous and we've seen it uh, in athletics over the years and um, there's a very good book I think people could consider reading it's an oldie but goodie it's called Duel in the Sun and it's about Dick Beardsley and Alberto Salazar's epic battle in the Boston Marathon I think it's 1983 and that race was on an incredibly hot day and none of those two men were ever the same after that race um, you know Salazar's hormonal problems uh, started after that you know, he had already run himself nearly to death at heat exhaustion once before, so he was already a little bit um, susceptible. And, you know, they just basically in some ways what seems to have happened is their nervous systems were permanently damaged by that experience, you know, because they, they pushed each other all the way to the finish in those they, conditions. They overrode that central governor that normally protects us. These guys were so headstrong and so motivated that they just overrode their own brain <laughs> to each other's competition on the day. Yeah, and actually, Ross Tucker, I think, has written in his book as well that in heat, the, there seems to be some malfunctions of the central governor where you, you lose the ability, for instance, to regulate many things, including your thirst. You know, because yeah. normally they say if you drink to thirst and only to thirst, you can't get hyponatremia because your body is very reliable. But that actually is not true. Once you get over a certain temperature, then you, you start to get an irrational desire to drink. And basically, then you, you start to drown yourself. You know, so that, that it is good advice. Like if you're going out, if, if it's super, super, super hot wherever you are, then maybe go for a little hike instead in the morning or something. And, and just skip the run. Uh, it, it's a call people will have to make for themselves, ultimately. Um, yeah. but, but there's no doubt there is a point where you probably are doing more harm than good. 
Sure, sure. I remember the scenes of Doha there a couple of years ago. Remember the, the World Championship Marathon there that they ran at 12 o'clock? And I mean, hopefully we won't see many examples of, of heat stroke um, in Ireland over this week. And, and, you know, we'll see people adapting as well this week. So if we do get another heat wave in three or four weeks time, people will be adapted from this period now. And funnily enough, the, I think that the sport that has the biggest problems in terms of heat stroke and so on and the location is funnily enough, actually American football in the Southern states in America, because they tend to start their preseason at the height of the summertime in July and August. So you have all these kids, teenagers, young men coming back, they're not as fit as they used to be at the end of the season. They have their big American football clothes and gear on, big helmets on, just no room to breathe at all. And they're down in whatever, Arizona, Texas, in, in the mid-30s, high-40s, trying to get ready for their high school and college football um, seasons. And that's where, that's where you'll find the most examples of heat stroke. Well, I think you're thinking of that case back from 2009, you know, where I, um, there was a coach, one of these college coaches in america he got charged actually by for homicide because like many of these college teams they have this grueling preseason program which is all about how tough you can be you know and really showing the coach who is gonna be on the team um and they had this grueling routine that they always put the athletes through um but it was particularly hot that day and i believe two of the students died from heat exhaustion you know and he then had to unfortunately for him you know you know it, was, it probably he I would say he probably was at fault. Um, you know, obviously it was a complicated case because they had obviously done something before where it hadn't happened, but um, it wasn't the only time. You know, I think there's more cases if, if people go search where it has happened in American college football that these extremely hard, high-intensity sessions done in the summer preseason, some peeps in those big, yes, yeah, so say all that gear, the, the players just collapsed and died. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a high price to pay for sport and to show your, your coach, you're tough. And I get how it can happen because, you know, you and I all know what sort of environment that probably is. You know, it's a very yeah. obviously masculine environment. High performance is all about showing you're tough, um, but it does show the danger, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. But listen, really, hopefully all the listeners get through the next couple of days okay. They have their caps on, they have their ice packs and ice baths ready to go. And uh, with a bit of luck, we all might come out stronger um, over the next week and uh, we'll be good to race again in two or three weeks' time. Rene, thanks a million for that today. And We'll talk soon, mate. All right. I'll see you home. Take care. There we have it for this week, guys. A shorter show than usual. A big thank you to Rene for that. And we've got lots of exciting things coming up over the next couple of weeks. We're going to do a special on EcoTrail Wicklow, our sponsors for this month and next month. So a big thank you to them. We're also going to hopefully be in UTMB Chamonix. Many say it is the biggest and best trail running race in the world. The equivalent of the Tour de France in cycling. This is the race to be at. We'll have lots of Irish over there and hopefully we'll get to chat to many of them as they cross the finish line i'll be there 
on the start line, on the finish line, on race announcer duties and really looking forward to supporting and cheering on all the Irish flags as they get through Mont Blanc and the many, many kilometres of that beautiful, beautiful mountain range all around the village of Chamonix in France. Before we go, a thank you to our Patreons as well for their continued support every month. If you haven't gone over to Patreon yet, do please go over, have a look for the price of a gel per month and you can help keep the show going month after month. Thanks a million guys. Have a great weekend's training. Do take care in that heat and there's only one thing left to say. Everybody, get your running gear on. Let's go. Bye.